This is episode 63 of Offscript with Trish Glow's intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my mic today is Dave Filomeo. Hello, Dave. Hello, Trish. I met you at uh, the So Humane uh, Taste... Toast for Tales. To- Toast for Tales. Thank you for saving me there. You're the president of the board of directors for So Humane. I am the president. I've been the president for about three years. Three years. For my third year. Okay. Um, you were sitting at my table. I was. Thank I, you for having me at your table. Thank you for having me at your table. You can pour a glass of bubbles like no one's business. Well, you know, it comes with the territory. When you want to have people feel like they want to donate money to the cats and dogs, uh-huh. that's so humane uh, yeah. adopts out. I can pour bubbly all night long. <laughs> I like that. No, you walked around. We had a we had a bottle of bubs on our table, and you took your napkin over your arm, and it was very just butler style. I loved it. You liked that, didn't I you? I thought it was awesome. We only had one bottle, though. I'm I sorry. know. Yeah. It's okay. I can. I love bubbles. Bubbles are my favorite, so but it's okay. That one glass was just perfect. So I just asked you, Filomeo, you said is Italian? It is Italian. Okay. Yes. Is that is your your parents? Well, um, you know, I've always believed that half my family was Italian, mm-hmm. my dad's side, and the other side was English and Irish, mm-hmm. my mother's side. And then you do this uh, DNA testing, and you find out it might not be as true as you thought it was. Really? Did you do that? I did. Okay. And uh, it turns out there's a lot of Iberian Peninsula background in my, so Spanish. Okay. Uh, in my background. So it came back about 22, 25% Italian. Hmm. But they all came from Italy over to <laughs> to America. Right, right. Okay, so we're going to start with, where are you from originally, Dave? I was born and raised in a small town in California called Martinez. It's mm-hmm. in the East Bay. And, uh, boy, when I was born and raised there, probably maybe seven, ten thousand 10,000 people. Oh, okay. Now? Uh, not many more because okay, it's kind of small. landlocked. It's uh, on the straits of the Car- Carquinez Straits, mm-hmm. so they probably have maybe fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people. Oh, okay. What was it like growing up there? Uh, you know, it was uh, ideal. I always told people I, I lived the perfect life as a child. I mm-hmm. would walk to school singing, you know, humming zippity doo or singing it. Stop. <laughs> uh, really? Would you? I would. I mean, and I'd, along the way, you know, I'd pick up the walnuts that were on the ground and crack them and eat them as I went to school and walk back home. And Man. You got to do anything you wanted. We walked anywhere, rode mm-hmm. our bikes everywhere, played mm-hmm. in the hills. Unlike today, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. That sounds like a Disney movie, though. It was. Yeah. yeah. Happy kid. Happy, yep. Yeah. All, all four of us in the family were happy kids. I was going to ask you, did you grow up with siblings? I did. An older sister, two younger brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, some were still back there. One's in Martinez. One's right next door in Rodeo. Okay. Uh, but, but they're all still in California. Okay. I'm the one that ventured the farthest. You To Oregon? Well, via... Colorado, and then Maryland, and then to Oregon. Right. Your job took you to Colorado, it right? Did. It okay. did. Okay. We'll get there in a second. Okay. Um, what did your parents do? My dad worked at the Shell Oil Refinery. He was, um, we started out as an accounting clerk. He had a degree in accounting from Cal uh-huh. and wanted to stay in Martinez because that's where his mother was and all the family was there. So the only job he could find was as a shipping clerk for the oil refinery. Uh-huh. Eventually got into the accounting department. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, eventually ended up working for the county of, of Contra Costa County, uh, okay. doing various jobs. Okay, so just just it, typical it, family. It, it was Leave It to Beaver. Right, except really? we had four kids. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and your your siblings are. You said they're all still in California now. Or? All in California. Okay. Are you guys close? Um, Ish. Not really. No? no. We talk every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Get together for uh, you know maybe once a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. But family events bring us together. Right. What were you like in high school? I was a nerd. 
<laughs> Yay, I like nerds. Yeah, I, I was a nerd. Okay, know. how so? What do you mean by that? A well, smarty pants? Uh, well, probably more so than I should have been. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I hung around with a group that I, I come to find out later in life we were called the White Sox by some of the girls. Okay. Because we always wore white socks with our jeans and our ten- our sneakers. And I, I didn't know we were called the White Sox. The White Sox. A bunch of, a bunch of guys. That, uh, in fact, I still get around with them. Uh, every year we get together mm-hmm. and we meet um, and we have a good time. So, yeah. Okay. That's the nature of a small town is you still keep in contact with people that you went to high school with. You really do. And social media helps. Good grief. Oh, absolutely. It was easy to find them and, uh, right. and get back in contact with them. Okay. So what comes after high school then? Are you off to college? Off to college. Um, we did the... Uh, the, the budget school, we went to junior college first. I mm-hmm. guess it's called community college now. Right, right. Went to Diablo Valley College, and then I went to Chico State. and yeah. Love Chico! It, yes, it was the party school, um, <laughs> but I graduated. Yeah. Was it when you went? It was number one in America when I went. <gasps> really? Yes, yes. It's not so much anymore. Well, they've kind of put a damper on some things. They've mm-hmm. had some episodes where it kind of got out of hand, and mm-hmm. so the, the administration put a damper on some of the party, and especially during what was known as Pioneer Days, which was more than a week, and then they compress it to a week, and now I think it's down to just three or four days. Okay. But uh, So it was the number one party school in America when you went? It was. It was. I, I did my part, but I didn't, <laughs> not to excess. <laughs> Good. Good for you. That's what college is for, though. You have to have that fun. You know, when our kids went to college, our daughter went to the University of Oregon, our mm-hmm. son went to the University of Colorado, which when he went also was the number one party school in America. Yes. I told them, I said, go have fun. I said, these are not going to be the best years of your life, Mm -hmm. but they will be the most carefree years of your life. So true. So true. In the very last podcast I did, I said, you know, when I, I went to University of Nevada, Reno, and they said, you can probably find a party every night of the week, but the library is open every night of the week. What did you choose? I chose the party every <laughs> night of the week. I didn't go to the library. No, we actually said that in the podcast. Like, libraries are scary at night. So I never went to the library. I could, well, you know, it's attended to work out for you anyway. I'm fine. You're, I, yeah, you're I made okay. it. I, I did just fine. Um, so, Chico, gorgeous little town. It's a wonderful little town. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of town that's. It is such a, a college town because the town surrounds the college. Exactly, yeah. yeah. A little creek that goes through the campus, mm-hmm. and it's, it's very placid. Is there a river that runs through there? Well, the Sacramento River is Sacramento right just river. north. And, yeah. And we used to do our days of tubing down the Sacramento River. Of course. You know, of course. Had was, to have some relaxation. Was Sierra Nevada there when you went? Unfortunately, it opened the year after I graduated. Really? And for those of you who or look fortunately. At, <laughs> well, <laughs> that could be. I graduated in 1978. I believe it opened in 79. Great. Great brewery. No, absolutely love Chico. Um, I'd like to go back and visit. The drive from Reno to Chico, because we went visited a couple times when I was in college. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Stunning. A beautiful part of the country. So what'd you, what are you studying? Well, I ended up getting a degree in business administration okay. with a concentration in, back then they called it personnel and industrial relations. Today they call it human resources. Okay. So I was one of seven people that got a degree in human resources. Not very popular? No, it, it really wasn't that popular. And okay. for good reason. If you want to get a job in human resources, you're probably not going to get it very quickly. 
Okay. In fact, of the people, seven people that I graduated with, or the seven of us, I was the only one that got a degree, got a job in HR right out of college. Wow. Well, okay. Technically, it wasn't right out of college. Um, I did graduate unemployed. I had to go back home, which uh -huh. is kind of an embarrassment that you're kind of a failure because you didn't get a job. Uh. I come home. Even my little brother has a paper route. I'm the only unemployed person <laughs> in the house. That is embarrassing. <laughs> but. Uh, it didn't. It was maybe a month later. I got a call from a company that I had applied to, mm -hmm. and had rejected me, and said, "Would you be interested in interviewing for a job?" And I said, "Sure." Okay. So that was Lockheed at the time. Okay, um, and that they were in Colorado, or they were in Sunnyvale, California. Okay. Okay. They, they had a major manufacturing complex down in Sunnyvale, so I went down and interviewed for the job. And uh, a couple days later, they called back and can can you start next Monday? I, I don't even own a car. Can right. you give me a few more days? Right. And they said, well, how about Wednesday? <laughs> Not to push my luck, I went out and bought a car. Nice. And I, then I commuted until I found a place to live down in Sunnyvale. Mm -hmm. And I uh, worked down there in, in the Sunnyvale area for about 25 years. You know, it's my this job was my first job out of school, actually. Um, and they kind of the same thing, can you start Monday? And I was like, no, I've got to get my life together. But when you're that young, you just kind of have to go like, yes, I can start two days after that. I mean, because you just don't know that they may say, never mind. That's right. You don't want them to pull the plug on you. Right. And it was the only job offer I had. Right. So I took it. And you need money. You need yeah. to start making money. That would help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All those things would help. Um, so what were you doing in this first job? Well, it, it was interesting because uh, my first job was a recruiter in the college relations department. And so they would send me out to all the different colleges. And I was as, as uncomfortable in that suit as the people, the young the young kids that I was interviewing across the table. Right. They were only a year younger than I was. Oh, or, man. Or could be the same age that I uh -huh. was. So we were interviewing just to see if they were going to be a fit. And quite frankly, uh, back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, we were hiring anybody with a pulse. So, really? Yeah. If you had an engineering background or a scientific background, we were just expanding the, the corporation. So in all likelihood, you were going to get hired. Okay. But that was fun. I, I would. Uh, they would ask for somebody, who wants to go to Texas in the middle of the summer? I do. <laughs> who wants to go to Michigan in the middle of the winter? <laughs> right I here. Do. Yeah. And so I got to do traveling and have, having never traveled before. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, maybe I think I made it to Reno one time as a, as a child. I'd never been out of the state of California. Crazy. It was exciting. Yeah. And you're what, early 20s? 21. Wow. 21. Wow. And you're interviewing just... Basically. People that are 21 or 20 or sometimes 22. A little awkward. Yeah, but we had a lot to talk about. I mean, oh, the I interviews did not always stay focused on engineering and mm -hmm. science. You know, mm -hmm. They might have gotten up little off track. So you were in HR with this company. So was it your job to bring people in? Absolutely. Doing what? Well, mostly we were hiring engineers and scientists to okay. work on different uh, projects that we had. Okay. Back in Sunnyvale, what they were building were uh, uh, the fleet ballistic missile, that the missile that goes on submarines or spacecraft. Uh, those are the primarily what they were building. You may recall the wow. uh, Hubble Space Telescope. Yes. That was built in Sunnyvale. Wow. Yeah. With this Within this company? Yes. Crazy. It, it, it was fun to go out there and just look at the hardware and just, I would be in awe. Mm -hmm. And and then I ended up working with uh, with some folks from Martin Marietta when the two companies merged in Denver. And that's when I realized I am working with rocket scientists. Yeah. Yeah. So when did that happen? Well, the merger took place, I recall, if I recall correctly, in 1995. 
Okay. And uh, it was shortly after that that uh, we started working more closely with some of our who were the arch enemies before, the day before. Now they're our, our brothers in arms. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were in Denver. The Martin Marietta, uh, Martin Marietta Space Division was in Denver. So I got to work with them quite a bit. And they made launch vehicles as well as making satellites. So a lot of those satellites that you see being launched into orbit were being launched on launch vehicles that were made in Denver, Colorado. That's insane. And how closely did you work with these rocket scientists? Uh, Pretty closely. I mean, I was fortunate enough when I was working in the Denver area to actually um, get to work with one astronaut who had left the NASA Corps. And then also in Sunnyvale, I got to work with a a, a space shuttle commander and pilot, Mike Coates, Mm -hmm. when he was working in Sunnyvale. And and I'm just in awe of the opportunities that I had in working for this corporation. Right. The people that I got to meet. How much, because you were in HR this whole time. The whole time. All 35 years of my career was in human resources. 35 years. Yes. I didn't ask you, what is your official title? Retired. You're retired. (laughs) Officially retired. Well, my wife would say I'm not retired. No. Because I do too many other things on a volunteer basis. Okay. But well, from getting paid, mm-hmm. I'm retired. We'll, we'll, and we'll definitely get to that. So how long were you in Colorado? Well, it was about three years over time. And mm-hmm. my family never moved there. I had an apartment there. And I was commuting from San Jose because the kids were in high school. And they were doing quite well in high school. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to extract them from what they were doing well and change their environment. Mm-hmm. My wife had done that when she was in high school, and it didn't sit well with her. Mm-mm. So we decided that rather than screw up their life, we'll screw up mine. Yeah, And I'll, be, I'll just commute for three years. Oh, to- my goodness. So you guys, so we're going to back up a little bit. Where did you meet your wife? I hired her. Uh, no. Really? <laughs> I love to say that. It's not quite true. One day I had the job of reviewing resumes as they came in. I was still in the employment tar- department. Mm-hmm. And I, now I was in doing professional hires, not college relations. And I was going through the resumes as they came in. And I looked at this resume. And I thought, you know, this is a, a new college graduate. And I know that the person over in college relations, the supervisor, is looking to hire a new recruiter. I'll just walk this resume over to him. So I did. And he says, well, you know, I was ready to make an offer to somebody else, but she's local. I'll give her a call. Okay. Gives her a call. And uh, she's available to come in for the interview the next day. And I thought, you know, I, I want to take a look at this person. And so I, I kind of peeked around the corner a little bit. And we had these partitions that you couldn't see through. And all I could see were the best looking legs I've ever seen in my life. I love it. I and, love it. Uh, so she gets the job offer and uh, she gets she comes on board about two or three days later because we move rather quickly. And that her starting date, if I recall correctly, was April 20th of 1979. Our first date was May 20th of 1979. Working fast, Dave. We got married in September. Of 1979? We got, we got engaged in okay. September, got married the following September. Wow. So. And you've been Married ever since. I've married ever since. Wow. What's her name? Paige. Paige. Um, Well, obviously, it was sort of a smitten at first sight for both of you. Certainly for me. Certainly for you. I I kind of wore on her after a while. (laughs) She gave up. (laughs) Love it. And what does she do now? Uh, she preceded me in retirement. Good for her. My job uh, took me to Bethesda, Maryland, mm-hmm. and she was a licensed uh, psychotherapist in California. So she worked for uh, Kaiser Permanente, and she did a lot of their triage work for people that came in for help. And she would decide whether they needed to be seen right away or whether they could wait a week mm-hmm. or two. And that was her job, was to do assessments. 
but she wasn't licensed in Maryland, and it was mm. kind of a long process to become relicensed. So mm -hmm. she became retired when we moved to Maryland. Okay. Now, an interesting story about Paige. She, um, the reason she found out that she was good at triage and kind of critical work is that she volunteered with the Red Cross after 9-11. Mm. And she asked to be assigned to Ground Zero. Really? Where she was helping people. Um, people that were displaced from their homes, sometimes the first responders, sometimes the survivors, of just helping them cope. Not really performing psychotherapy, but in a way kind of doing that, but not as a licensed professional. But she did that for two weeks. And it was a very rewarding experience for her and something that really caused her to, to realize she, ha she had a gift to be able to do this. And so when she got back, she found a job at Kaiser Permanente that would allow her to do triage. Okay. So psychotherapy, what is that? I mean, what is, I guess, her main focus? Like, it, it, like is it PTSD? Is it? Well, uh, it would, she would deal with all different types of, of uh, mental illnesses. Okay. Uh, some that she was better to deal with than others. And if you ask me much more than this, I'm not going to be able to help you out. Gotcha. But, uh, but she, she didn't do a whole lot of, of like marriage counseling. It really was dealing with people that had uh, well, she did a lot of alcohol and, and drug counseling. Okay. She dealt with people that had uh, just issues, uh, different psycho psychosis. Okay. Help them get through it. Help them get through it. Okay. And then with the triage, was it more an emergency type of? It was people that were calling in or walking in I see. to the hospital and I saying, see. I need to be seen for a mental illness. They don't always say for a mental illness. Right. But her job was to assess them and say, yes, you need to be seen right away. Or, you know, we're going to schedule you for two or three days or two or three weeks down the road. Wow. Okay. So she is a super smarty pants. She is. Interesting. I'm not sure why she married me, but she's. <laughs> I bet I know why. So you guys have how many kids? We have two. Do you have two? And you were living in San Jose when you got. So did the merger make you go to Colorado? It did. Okay, gotcha. As, as a consequence of that, right. it, it did. And so my job in Sunnyvale was kind of merged with another job mm -hmm. because we were combining the space units of Lockheed and Martin Marietta one being in Denver, one being in Sunnyvale, and consolidating them into Denver. Got you. So okay. my job ended up going to Denver, and my boss told me, you have two choices. You can either start working in Denver, or you can look for another job outside of Lockheed Martin. It was a pretty, by then I'd had 20 years of service in. For sure. It was an easy choice, but uh, it was so, a tough three years. I bet. So you are commuting from San Jose to Denver. Weekly. What did that look like? A lot of frequent flyer uh, miles. Frequent flyer miles. And uh -huh. a lot of Marriott points. Yeah. Okay. Go Marriott. <laughs> um, so, I mean, were you there four days, five days? I would usually leave Sunday night about, okay. about 5 o'clock, get into Denver 8, 8 30, 9 o'clock, and then leave Friday afternoon and come home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, could, I did it about three weeks every month, and then they'd allow me to work my office in Sunnyvale one week out of the month. That's nice. And then after a year, it was really, it was taking its toll. And I was going to go into my boss and say, hey, you know, we got to work something out. And he, he's, he jumped the gun. He said, you know, you guys have done a really good job of setting up the office in Denver. Mm -hmm. Why don't you flip it around? Why don't you spend three weeks in Sunnyvale and one week in Denver? And I said, okay, I think I can handle that. So we did that for about a year. And then a job for the vice president of human resources in Denver opened up, and I put in for that. I was selected, and now I'm back to doing three weeks in Denver Man. and one week in Sunnyvale. Okay. So um, 
That's tough. It, it, it worked out in a sense that once we finally consolidated both of the units, uh, I ended up having to go back to Sunnyvale anyway. Mm, gotcha. So that worked out, and I spent some time there, another, another year or two, and then a job opening uh, became available in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. Same company? Same company. Okay. This time it's the corporate office. Okay, so you guys pick up and move? We picked up and moved. and uh, Were the kids out of high school? They were They were either in college or uh, were just leaving college, and I can't recall okay. which. But they were, okay. they were out of high school for sure. Okay, that's good. So how long were you in Maryland? Seven years. Seven years? Yeah, so Paige had seven years of fun in our nation's capital. <laughs> and she could probably give tours. Really? Of, of, oh, yes. Is that what she, I mean, did she basically, was she a tourist for seven years? She was a tourist. She had a great set of girlfriends out there that she, Mm. one of our best friends from San Jose had moved out already ahead of us. And so that became her best friend and girlfriend and they would go do things together. uh, Just have a wonderful time. While you're working. Yes. (laughs) But I I mean, it was good for me. Mm -hmm. The the biggest fear that you have when you move, I'm going to be busy all day. Yeah. Is she going to be bored all day? Right. And the answer is no. No, she was fine. She was having plenty of fun. You know, that is a good question. I think about that. I'm far from retirement, but I do wonder sometimes when I get to that point what I will do with my time. You know, there are there's no shortage of people that would like to have people like you and me uh, help them out on a volunteer basis. Mm-hmm. And my wife, for example, she volunteers uh, at the Cancer Resource Center every Monday morning at uh, Prudential, uh, Prudential at Providence. Okay. Um, she does, um, I'm going to forget all the different volunteer activities that she does, Make-A-Wish Foundation. She oh, coordinates nice. wishes for children in the area. Oh, stop. I love that. Yeah. So you're in Maryland for seven years, um, and that's where you retire? I retired out of, out of Maryland, out of the corporate office. Okay. Did you guys miss California? Not in the least. Really? No. What, so you, you enjoyed living in Maryland? I wouldn't go quite that far. Okay. The summers are unbearable mm. in Maryland. I'm from South Carolina. Okay. So, so you know heat and you. humidity. Ugh. I, mean, I can't do it. I love the falls, love the springs. Mm-hmm. The winters can be brutal, especially during the ice storms. Mm-hmm. But the summers, not my cup of tea. You can't, you can't be outside. Or if you are, you just be prepared to sweat. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely love South Carolina, but going back in the summer now, I'm just like, I just can't do it. Not after living out West for so long. Well, this is ideal in Southern Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's very reminiscent of what I grew up in, mm-hmm. in the East Bay, in, in the San Francisco Bay area. Mm-hmm. Remember I had the leave it to Beaver, right? You did. Yes. Uh, the California I left, it wasn't leave it to Beaver anymore. Okay. What was it? Well, it was a lot more or maybe I just became more aware of it. A lot more crime, mm-hmm. a lot more people, mm-hmm. a lot more traffic. Yeah, yeah. And so when I moved to, to Medford and people t- complain about the traffic, I'm thinking, you've never been on the D.C. Beltway. <laughs> okay, yeah, good point. Um, my husband's from Huntington Beach, and he has tales of, of traffic. and Horrendous. We don't know traffic up here. No, a four-way stop sign is a bad traffic jam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your commute when you were, did you have a commute when you were working in Sunnyvale? I did. It was about, it, well, it depended. I could always tell how well high-tech was doing because I lived either in Fremont, which is uh, uh, east of where Sunnyvale is, or mm-hmm. in South San Jose. And when the high-tech industry was booming, my commute home on a Friday could be an hour and a half. Okay. When high-tech was in its lulls, I get home in about a half an hour. 
Really? So I could always measure how well the economy, the high-tech economy mm -hmm. was doing. That's very interesting. So so you guys enjoyed Maryland. You enjoyed, we did. We and did. How, how close were you to D.C.? We were, uh, well, we had the last metro stop on the red line. And so if we wanted to go downtown, we would just drive to the metro, hop on, go downtown. Love it. Not deal with the traffic at all because the traffic is horrendous and the parking is terrible mm -hmm. in downtown dc but you go down to georgetown have a great dinner go down to, i used to have to go down and have meetings downtown um and i had no problem taking the metro down there yeah of course getting to the metro stop on the way back from wherever i was meeting in the middle of the summer when it was hot and humid and i had a little suit on lovely <laughs> and you get on the metro with everybody else that has yeah. little suits on yeah yes it's wonderful yuck no no thank you <laughs> So from there, uh, you decide, okay, I'm, I'm retiring from this company that you've been working for now for how long? 35 years. 35 years at the same company. Yeah. That doesn't happen a lot. It doesn't. My family did it. My dad worked for the same company, Shell Oil Company, for mm -hmm. 35 years, if I recall correctly. My grandfather did. Um, now, the name of his company changed many times. Sure. It went from Tidewater to Phillips 66, you know, to... Mm -hmm. uh, and my other grandfather worked until he passed on, but he worked for one company. Uh, it just happens to be, it's it's what you do in, in my family, you know. It's, did, did you get bored ever? Never. Really? No. It's a big enough corporation where if you want to change the venue in which you operate, you can. Mm -hmm. I could have moved to Georgia if I wanted to, or mm -hmm. obviously to Denver, and to, uh, turned down some offers to go to different locations in Idaho and Philadelphia, but... Uh, mm. And within human resources, there's so many different functions that you can do in HR that, you know, you, if you want to do labor relations, you go work in the labor relations organization. If you want to do training, which I did, you can go do training. Mm -hmm. Where I kind of gravitated towards was the compensation and benefits. So when the corporate office called and said, we'd like you to be the corporate vice president of compensation and benefits, I said, sure, I'm there. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I think, like I said, I, I've been here for 17 years, and I think changing your role at the same company mm -hmm. helps because then you can, you know, I started off as a reporter, and then I started anchoring, and then I started producing. And I think as long as you're challenging yourself and you're changing maybe what you do within the company, it, it is hard to get bored. It is. Yeah. And you enjoy, you know, obviously. And it can be very rewarding. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, um, but I was going to ask you, when you were working with the rocket scientist, how much did you absorb? How how closely were you working with them as they were building, you said, missiles and satellites? and? Well, they didn't come to me for technical advice. <laughs> <laughs> Calling you up, hey, Dave, we got an issue down here. No, they were looking. They were looking to me for some solutions. Usually, you know, how to hire people or who to hire. But over time, as you build up a, a trust and confidence, or they have a trust and confidence in you, mm -hmm. you help them work through their personnel issues. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe it might be one of their managers that isn't leading as well as he or she could, and you want to give them some advice and counsel on how to steer that individual, coach the individual. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would every once in a while I'd get assigned a vice president who was an up and comer and potential, you know, CEO, C-suite material, but had a couple rough edges and my job was to serve kind of not as their mentor but as their coach mm -hmm. to help them work on certain things and and not make statements they probably shouldn't make in a public forum and that kind of gotcha, stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so did you get good then at looking at resumes and and finding those people who fit within this company? I got fairly good at looking at keywords and understanding that this organization here is looking for for example a heat transfer or a thermodynamicist. And 
Say what? I, 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 it's the transfer of heat among materials. Okay. Okay, so they'll take a look at whether it, um, it, it's going to be, well, well, forget about thermodynamics, but I got to the point where I could take a look at keywords in context and mm -hmm. understand where they might fit in the organization. Interesting. I couldn't do the work, <laughs> but I could, I could match things. That's, really? that's all I could do. Okay. Um, did you deal with a lot of, like, personnel issues? Like... Like oh yeah, grumpy people fighting. Um, they did worse than fight on, on some. Really? Oh yeah, good well, stuff. Well, you know things that the people shouldn't do at work. Ooh, we'll like put, what? Can you talk about it? I mean, my my favorite story of the value of human resources. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll try to condense it and shorten it. Oh, you don't need to shorten it. We have forever. Oh, we have forever. Well, I just have to be on the air at 5 o'clock, so right. we're good. Well, I have to go to junior golf at 520. Oh. My grandson is playing golf. Is that? Oh, I love it. Okay, so tell your story. Okay, so um, over time, I ended up being the vice president of human resources in Sunnyvale, California. Mm -hmm. And the process was that anybody who was going to be subject to discharge, I had to review their case. I didn't have to adjudicate it, but I had to be the final decision maker. Is this yeah. person, are we going to fire this person? I was going to say someone who's going to, could possibly get fired. Yes. Okay. So this case, this case came to me and I recognized the name. And the name is the daughter of a person who has since retired from Lockheed and uh, was a, a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh no, what did she do? That's tough. And I'm looking at, okay, so she got caught drinking on the job, which is not a good thing to do. No. And so once it was discovered that she was drinking on the job, you know, they escorted her to the medical department. They took her down to the testing labs. They had, you know, two tests, and then they took her home. And we never let her drive herself. Mm -hmm. Take took her home, and then the the lab results come back, and it turns out, well, no, she was drinking on the job. So okay. I get the case, and it says, well, the blood alcohol was 0 .081. I said, whoa. Wow. Now that is significant. That's significant. And I always had discretion up to about 0.08, but we had a pretty hard and fast rule. After 0.08, you're fired. Yeah, you're out of here. You know, up to 0.08, you know, we take a look at the longevity, your tenure, and you know how long you've worked there, mm -hmm. and your work performance, and whether we're going to give you a second chance and so forth. But at 0.08, I, I'm kind of duty bound, so I approve the termination. She calls me the next week and she says, "There is no way that I was at 0.08. No way." Really? I said, "Well, why do you say that?" Because I only had two drinks in my car during lunch. I said, well, you know, even that is more than you should have when you're working. I know, I know, but I, there's no way. I said, well, I'll look into it. I'll give you a call back. So I called the medical department. I said, can you pull her file and just, you know, tell mm -hmm. me. Well, the, the first test was 0.04, and the second test was 0.041. I said, did you guys add them together? Oh, no. So I actually had discretion. So I called her back and I said, look, um, you know, I didn't tell her that we made an error. I just said, given your long tenure with the corporation, 25 years, I'm willing to bring you back, but only if you get clean and sober. Mm -hmm. I said, you need to go through a program. And she says, I will. So this is like August time frame. Okay. She, she gets herself into a program and she's going to get out in December. And she tells me everything. She says, I'll give you a call in December when I'm out. So December comes, no call. January comes no call. February com comes, no call. March comes and she calls me. And I said, you know, I thought you were going to call me in December. She says, I was, but I had to prove to myself that I could stay clean and sober. And I did. Aww. And I said, 
we'll find a job for you, come on back. That's amazing. Fast forward about a year. The, her dad, who I knew, called me because he was passing away from cancer. Mm. And he said, I want to thank you. And I said, for what? He says, you saved my daughter's life. I didn't explain to him that I made an error. Yeah. I just took it as a thank you. Right. And uh, he later since passed. But uh, wow. that's the rewarding part of human resources, where you can touch an individual and change their life. She like seriously, yeah. legitimately changed her life. I mean, did she, she had a drinking problem. She had a severe drinking problem. And then from that time forward, to my knowledge, she has not ever consumed any more alcohol. Now, she's probably now retired as well, because right. that was several years ago. Right. But it did change her life. Awesome. Um, did you see a lot of drinking on the job? You know, early on in the 70s, uh, yes, in the 80s, there were there were a lot of things that went on in the workplace that were tolerated that would no longer be tolerated. Exactly. Oh, it has evolved significantly over mm -hmm. years. I remember when I first got there and I would look at some of the, the uh, instructional booklets that we would pass out, and it was very stereotypical. Men, you know, all engineers, mm -hmm. women, all secretaries or assistants and then over time all that it changed mm -hmm. and for the better that was going to be my next question actually i wrote down i wrote down the word women because we are currently um you know looking at the workforce right now there is a lot of uh, news stories about you know women in engineering jobs and women you know in all those sciencey jobs and not paying them as much did you see a shift in who was getting hired within this company where maybe when you started it was a lot of a lot of males on the engineering side did you see that switch come? oh absolutely uh -huh. and, but part of it is who gets what degrees we're not in the job of training people how to be engineers and scientists mm -hmm. we're in the job of hiring engineers and scientists mm -hmm. out of college so as w more and more women and minorities went into engineering what they call stem science technology engineering and exactly. math disciplines we could hire more of them um, and we did. And so I saw over time a, a quite a, a big shift of, of women and minorities into the engineering and sciences. Mm -hmm. And part of my job in the, as a corporate compensation person was to do those studies which said, okay, are we paying people equally for comparable work and so forth? And every time we did it, we found out that, yeah, we didn't. In fact, in some cases, women were being paid more than men. Mm -hmm. and we, we had to adjust for things such as uh, you know, level of education, some people only had bachelor's degrees. Others had masters or PhDs. Some people had more experience. Some people had better job performance. When we adjust, when we accounted for all those things, we actually found that sometimes women were being paid more than men, mm -hmm. which was okay because it wasn't significantly more. It was a, a percentage point or two, which was within a margin of error. So we were happy with that. And you believe it was fair? I believe it was fair. Uh, you know, it all starts out with uh, having people that are qualified to enter the workforce. And as I often have told people, when we build something in, in, a, in the aerospace industry, there are what they call long lead items, things that are very hard to get that you have to put an order in many, many years ahead of time. Mm. And I used to tell people there is no longer lead item than personnel. Now, what, the work that we did, you had to be a U.S. citizen or be able to get a security clearance. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult if you were a foreign national to get a security clearance. But we knew who was born in the United States in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. It's a finite population. Our job was to get more and more of those people, those kids, 
to get into science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. And so we would put engineers out into the schools, elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools, to kind of do science fairs, to get them excited about you know, mm -hmm. careers in science. And we would certainly send women engineers out to get girls excited about doing things that they might not have thought of doing. Right, I know, and it is nice to see you know, women and minorities going into engineering and not going, applying for that job of the administration type staff. Well, if you take a look at the CEO of Lockheed Martin, Lockheed Martin Corporation right now, mm -hmm. it's a woman. Really? Marilyn Houston. Go Marilyn. Doing a wonderful job. That's amazing. So you, do you see though that, is that an issue in the United States? I know you're retired, but do you think there are some companies that are still paying men more than women doing the same job? There probably are some. I'm not aware of them, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure there are probably some. Um, I, I was just happy. Well, as a defense contractor, we had a whole lot of oversight. And a lot of that oversight was because the work that we did for the federal government. Right. And so we had a lot of help from the federal government to make sure that we did things the way that we, we should do. Mm -hmm. Now, we would want to do them on our own anyway, but we certainly had a, a different entity to answer to. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and speaking of security clearance, I mean, you guys, you know, this company is building things that are kind of top secret, right? Very much so. Okay. Yes. So you can't talk about it. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I had um, I had a, a woman on, her name's Kathy Beaton, and she was contracted with the Department of Defense. Um, her job was to camouflage certain things, certain planes and missiles and all that kind of thing. Like her, her background was hiding stuff. So it wasn't camouflage, it was stealth, right? So, yes. 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 Fascinating so, work. Yes. Well, Lockheed Martin also made the stealth fighter, mm -hmm. the F-22 Raptor. Okay. The F-35, which is currently in production, has some stealth capabilities as well. But uh, the F-117, that, that stealth fighter, that it, was also made by Lockheed Martin. Amazing. Stealth meaning basically... When it's flying, you can't see the, the it? The radar cross-section is such that it looks like a bird. Really? Yes. Now, does that have to do, I don't know if you can tell me this, does that have to do with paint and construction? Yes. Okay. Both. It, the construction, because you, you don't want to reflect radar signals. Okay. Okay. And paint, because you want to absorb the radar signals. Got you. Okay. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but construction is a big part of it. And Sp nothing that I'm telling you is classified right now. Dang it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. That's a fascinating job, though. Well, see, I, I loved it because, as my uh, late father-in-law used to say, you're a, re you're a frustrated engineer masquerading <laughs> as an HR professional. <laughs> so you, but you got to, you were in on some secrets. A few, yes. That's to important. be able to do my job, to be able to go into the work environment where these people were doing classified work, mm -hmm. I would need to be able to be cleared as well. So cool. That's really cool, Dave. It is fun. Yeah. It was fun. So did you get a big party when you retired? I had a couple parties. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think they were happy to see me go. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So what happens after retirement, though? Well, retirement was prompted by this little guy. Uh, our daughter, who I said went to the University of Oregon. Yes. Uh, well, she got her master's degree in education, her undergraduate in English, uh, which because the only place you could possibly get an English degree would be out-of-state tuition. <laughs> of course. You couldn't go anywhere in California and get that. But So she went to the Univers University of Oregon. Uh -huh. When she graduated, she uh, uh, got her teaching credentials for the state of Oregon. 
And she got two job offers. Really? One at Hedrick and one at North. And she took the one at Hedrick. And so she moved to Medford. She moved to Medford. So mom and dad moved to Medford. Well, she, not quite that quickly. <laughs> we used to drive uh, up to the to Eugene from the Bay Area mm-hmm. and drive through Medford. And I would look over the viaduct and say, hmm, interesting. Never thinking that I would actually live here. Okay. But uh, when she moved here, she met the love of her life mm. and got married. And we came out and we got to see a different part of Medford. The, you know, the, the East Hills and up uh, towards uh, Eagle Point, okay. Crater Lake, all the beautiful, and Jacksonville, because mm-hmm. we spent more time out here once they got married. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, she has our first grandchild. Oh, there it is. That was it. And that's that, it. Yep. And that's what prompted uh, a career to end at 35 years. Love it. A kiddo. Yeah. A grandbaby. So. Did you look over the viaduct saying interesting, like, uh-uh? Kind of like. Nope. I'm not sure I'd want to live here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that's where it's it's I feel a little bad for Medford because it's such a Southern Oregon is such a beautiful place. And when I tell people where I'm from, I say I I live in Southern Oregon because I think it's not just Medford. Like you said, it's Jacksonville and Ashland and Eagle Point, all these beautiful places that make up our community. Yes, it is. Yeah. So the grand ba- boy or a girl? First one was a boy. Okay. Brayden. Yes. Brayden. Yes. Adorable. And then now we have two years later, we have Sawyer, a little girl. Sawyer. So they're six and four right now. Okay, that's an adorable name. So Brayden makes, Brayden is the reason why you moved to Southern Oregon. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, yeah. okay. So um, you guys have never, you've just driven through here. So when you're visiting more and more, um, what are some of your favorite spots of this of this community? Well, I, I love Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we actually looked for a home out there and... Uh, but one of the things that we wanted to do when we moved here was to be active grandparents. Okay. And we told the kids that we'd be happy to babysit one day a week. So we babysit on Fridays. Well, if we had moved to Jacksonville and they live in Medford, it would be too much to just drop them off. And the same would be true if we had moved to Ashland. Mm-hmm. Why would you you know, travel 20 minutes down the road and 20 minutes back before you go to work? Exactly. So we live in you know, East Medford, and mm-hmm. as do they. And so they drop off the kids. Now... We have one more year of, of Sawyer, and then they're both going to be in school. Oh, man. And our Fridays are going to be free. What are you going to do? I'll find something to do. Yeah? Golf, yeah. maybe? Uh, are you a golfer? I try to be. Um, I'm not, I don't golf as much as my wife does. Okay. I spend as much time in the country club. Okay. Because that's one of my other volunteer jobs. Right. You were on the board of Rogue Valley Country Club. I still am. You still are. Okay. And then you're also on the board of So Humane, what we mentioned. You're president of the board. And president um, of the country club as well. And president of the country club? Yes. Of the board of the country club? Yes. Okay. And then Mercy Flights? Mercy Flights as well. You're on that board too? I am. Okay. So is that all All the boards? That's all the boards. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why did you decide to sit on these boards? Well, another small but long story. Okay. Shortly after we moved here in 2013, I think it was probably December of 2013, uh, Medford probably got about five inches of snow. And mm. it was it was unusual for Medford to get that much snow. And we live over in the East Hills. Uh, we happened to have just moved from Maryland. So I had a four-wheel drive vehicle, and I could get up and down the hills. Sure. But a lot of my neighbors couldn't get up and down the hill because uh-uh. it had iced over. Mm-hmm. I remember that storm. It was, oh, it was, it was heinous. Mm-hmm. It was freaky. Mm-hmm. And so the next day, because, again, I'm retired. I have nothing else to do. 
I had all my ice chipping and snow shovel equipment from Maryland and still in the garage. So I was out chipping the street of ice, trying to get a rut going up and down so the neighbors could get at least one, two sets of tires, you know, one on one side, okay. up, so they could get home and get, and get down. And Dr. Ed Hellman, who's my neighbor, kind of stopped and he said, Dave, you don't have much to do, do you? <laughs> I said, does it show, Ed? And he said, yes. He says, have you ever thought about being on the board? And I said, never thought about it. What board? He said, so humane is looking for somebody. Aww. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. And it wasn't a month later that I was on their board. Okay. Same kind of story with, with Mercy Flights. Ed was on the, the board of Mercy Flights, and he uh, turned out. And he asked me if I would have any interest, and I said, absolutely. I said, that's a great organization. Mm -hmm. So he you know, put my name in, and I was accepted by the board, and, and so I'm on their board as well. The country club I had to run and get elected by the members. Okay. And I, and I have been, so. Nice. And, and I'm happy to say that the, that the country club is, is tur has turned a corner. Uh, for many, many years, it was kind of on the downhill slide, and we were losing members. We just finished our last fiscal year, and for the first time in many, many years, we actually added members. Fantastic. So we're doing well. So obviously, your HR background plays a huge role in you being a part of these boards. Yes. I, I think it probably had something to do with yeah. it. But there are just some basic corporate skills that you learn, mm -hmm. uh, governance skills, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, just by being in a corporate environment. Right. So I guess what do you bring to the table then? So humane, for instance. Karen Evans, the executive director, could not say enough nice things about you. Well, she's a very kind person. She says, she just says, your family is lucky because you're a part of it. That's what she said. So what do you bring to the, what do you bring to the table for these boards? I, You'd have to ask her to get. What I think I like to contribute is a, a structure and uh, a process of how to get things done, uh -huh. and breaking up challenges into small pieces, and then coming up with solutions to get us where we need to be. Mm -hmm. You know, so Humane's a great organization, but it's a, it can use a lot of help. One of the things that we've been focused on the last few years is to get. We need to get a new facility. Uh, Amen. If you've been there, you yes. know that it's it's uh, it's on its last legs. I was just there on July 4th. Um, you were caring for some of the dogs that evening? The, I was doing a story okay. because there were other volunteers who were there hanging out with the dogs and the cats because the fireworks were all going around, all around us for hours. And some of these dogs were physically stressed because of these fireworks. Very much so. But yeah, walking through the facility, you know, with, with my gear, I mean... They do the very best with what they have, but you're right. So Humane needs a new facility. So we've been working on that the last number of years. And okay. part of it is to bring onto the board, because you can only ask staff to do so much. They don't have the, they have the skill set of taking care of dogs and cats and getting them adopted out into the community and finding them in the community to, be, to make them available for adoption. So our board is really focused on strategy and governance. So part of it was to change the composition of the board and to get people on the board that had skill sets of financial investments because mm. we need money to be able to, to mm -hmm. uh, build a new facility. So we, we went out earnestly and looked for CPAs and people that had wealth management experience. We went out and looked for an attorney to help us with, especially a land use attorney, would, which would be helpful. We looked for somebody in the real estate market because we're gonna need to take a look at properties. We have somebody on our board that works at Adroit. 
Uh, so we're, we're changing the composition of the board to be able to have the skill set to prepare us to build a new facility when the time comes. Mm -hmm. We also contracted with a, a company that's the top company in, in America, Shelter Planners of America, to be able to go and do a needs assessment. What do we really need as mm -hmm. far as capacity? So that need assessment's been done. We have some preliminary designs of what a, what a new facility would look like. It may have to be altered based upon the plot of land that we find. But we're ready to go. Now the, the issue is we need to go get the money, mm -hmm. and that we're going to put a strategy together as well. Okay. What is the need for this shelter? Need as far as uh, money? Uh, or, I mean, or both, space and money. Well, ideally, we'd like to have four to six acres. Yeah. The, we need to be somewhere in the city of Medford because we need city water and city sewer. We go through a lot of water and we would drain a well in no time. How how much how many acres is so humane sitting on now? Two. Oh, wow. It's pretty cramped. It is cramped. And I know that the city would like us to not be in that area because it's it's right in a residential area. It is. And when the dogs bark, they can keep up, but the residents came after the the shelter. So we're kind of constrained by where we can go in the city of Medford. Probably light industrial uh, commercial zoning would mm -hmm. be what we need to have. Uh, but it has to be in the city of Medford so that we can get city water, city yep. sewer. Uh, four to six acres. Maybe we need to get some relief on setbacks from zoning. It, de it depends. But we have a lot of grandfathered activity where we are. We don't have enough parking. And no. if you build a new facility, there's going to be a requirement for so much parking mm -hmm. per occupant. Now, I think we can probably go to the city and tell them most of our occupants can't drive. They're dogs and cats. So we might get some relief. Ba boom um, are, are you close? Or is it going to be a while? I think it'll be a little while, but mm -hmm. we're optimistic that we're going to get there. Okay. And then when it comes to the financial side, I mean... Grants, donations? Grants, donations. Uh, very How much are we talking? Probably $10 million. Holy, that's a lot. It is a lot of money. But it needs to be done. It does. It's that Some of those buildings have been there for 80 years. Right. And we're talking about, um, you know, these dogs and cats that this organization is saving from local shelters and outside shelters. Absolutely, we have the saving train that goes down to California mm -hmm. routinely to pick up dogs, primarily sometimes mm -hmm. cats, but primarily dogs from certain euthanasia in, in many situations. It, I mean, it's it's just, it is real. It is a real thing. I, I did that story too. We went down to California and have these volunteers are going through picking animals that they think will be adopted. And some of them, if they make a trip back there, it may not be there because it may have, have been euthanized. Those volunteers that go down there and assess the dogs, they are, it's, it's a tough job. They're making life and death decisions. I know. And, and they do the best they can. Mm -hmm. And so far they're doing an excellent job because nearly every animal they bring back gets adopted. Mm -hmm. I know. I call them my heroes because I don't know if I could do that job. Karen and I always joke because we would be the ones crying in the van on oh, the yeah. way back. <laughs> Do you have dogs, cats at home? We have one dog. We, we came out with two dogs. They both have since passed. We mm. now have a, a, I committed the cardinal sin. I didn't get a rescue dog. Oh, that's okay. I, I have a rescue and I have a not rescue. Well, we have a sheep-a-doodle. <laughs> I love it. So he's half sheep dog and half poodle. And uh, I've never had smart dogs before. We've usually had basset hounds and they're as dumb as dirt. <laughs> So it's nice to have Cute. a poodle. Oh, he's he's yeah. he's adorable. Uh, super smart dog. Super smart. Yep. Mm -hmm. He can count. Mm -hmm. He knows that he gets two cookies every night. If I hold back and keep one in my pocket, 
He'll just stare at me till he gets the second one, and then he won't come back. What's his name? Finley. Finley. I love it. Well, maybe your next dog will be a shelter dog. It could be. Okay. Okay. We just recently got a shelter dog from So Humane, um, a puppy. His name is Bodie Winston Glose the third. The third. Um, The third. Yes. And our reasoning behind that is because my husband and I, this is our third dog together. And it just sounds fun. Oh, you know, yes. I mean, it's just it's royal. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, and I just if you are going to get a shelter dog, don't get a puppy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> well, no, he's great. He's, Finley he's was a awesome. puppy. Now, keep in mind, it's a lot easier to have a puppy and train one when both of you are retired. Because uh, we, we're not home reti- all day. Yeah, not not retired. And it's, no, he's he's great. And our older dog, Samson, is absolutely helping us train him. But, I mean, when they call them puppy projects, that is oh, legit. He it, is a project. Finley was a quick learner. Okay. Yeah, so we were very fortunate. Bodie's doing Excellent. I wouldn't. I'm, I'm glad I have to hear no that. buyer's remorse at all. Good. So, so humane. So you've got this project with so humane. We're now looking at a a new shelter. Uh, Mercy flights. Your your work on the board there. Was there a need for a, a board to to make some changes within Mercy flights? No, I think they brought me on. One of the things that, that boards do, do they, they look for a skill set. And mm-hmm. in this case, they wanted somebody with an HR background. Got you. Uh, not to do the work, but to provide a sounding board to the mm-hmm. staff if need be, and also some, some level of guidance. But part of it is that you know, having been at the corporate office of Lockheed Martin Corporation, you learn a lot about governance. And working closely with the board of directors like mm-hmm. I did, you learn a lot about governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I... I kind of know what my role is, and I know what my role is not. Got you. <laughs> so un- unless they ask my opinion, um, I won't offer it. If they do ask, I'll, I'll provide it. And, you know, sometimes they, they ask, and I'll be happy to, to provide it. Okay. And this is all volunteer? It is, yes. All three boards, this yeah. is all volunteer for you? Yes. Okay. Well, on behalf of our community, thank you. Well, you're welcome. For, for taking for taking the time to sit on these boards. You're, you and the rest of the boards are making a difference in our community. I like to think we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's good to give back. I mean, I, mm-hmm. when I was working uh, full time, I, I was on a, a few boards here and there. A lot of them were work related. Mm-hmm. But uh, you don't have the time to give back for all the things that have benefited in my life. It's it's time to give it back a little bit. Okay, I like that a lot. Well, we're going to wrap up, Dave Filomeo. Um, final three, I prepped you on these. You did. Best advice you've ever been given? Best advice I've ever been given or the best advice I've ever taken? Let's do both. Let's do both. Actually, they're about the same. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm going to give you three. Okay. One in childhood was share your toys. That's what mom told me. And I've learned that it carries over to later in life where you need to share other things that you have, including your time and your money. Mm. So toys are a little bit different. They just change construct as you get older. Good advice. One was a, uh, I had the librarian sign my high school yearbook and she told me to ponder the quote. And it was a quote by uh, Socrates. And I'll paraphrase it because I can't remember it exactly. But it's something about um, wisdom is achieved when a man realizes what he thinks he knows, he doesn't know. Oh, good one. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance that I've crossed way too many times. Mm-hmm. And I still have to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. But that was probably a good piece of advice that I need to abide by much more. It's okay to say, I don't know. Yes. 
especially if you don't know. Right. I re- oh, I like that one. I like that one a lot. That's a good one. And the last one was when I started my professional career. I had a gentleman tell me, pay yourself first. And what he meant was, take 10% of your paycheck and save it. Mm. Pay yourself first. Everybody else comes second. So that when you turn 56, which I did, you can afford to retire. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one too. So my stepdad taught me that one. I mean, it was all about 401k from the from the get go. When both of our kids graduated from college, I'm sure they expected a great gift from mom and dad. I thought it was a great gift. Uh, we per- put the first thousand dollars in their Roth IRA. Mm, good. That, that's a great <laughs> gift. They will thank you someday. They can't spend it. Nope. Nope. And they will thank you. Not without penalty. Yeah, exactly. And I love the fact that you asked the librarian to sign your yearbook. I spent a lot of time there. Really? Uh, Not for good reasons, necessarily. (laughs) So you guys were buddies. I love it. Okay. Um, If you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most? Uh, The same thing that brought me here the first time. Mm. The grandkids. The grandkids. I mean, the daughter and son-in-law are fine, but but the grandkids. They're okay. (laughs) Okay. Final meal final drink what would that look like well you know if it, if i knew it was my final meal i might lose my appetite okay okay <laughs> but i can uh, I, i'm just a meat and potatoes guy i mean i just a perfectly cooked medium rare petite filet mm. with a nice bottle of uh, syrah i'm done you're in a good place for a nice bottle of Syrah. Absolutely, I am. I mean, I'm sure if you're you're a wine drinker. I am. Okay, so when you moved here, did you realize this was wine country? I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Of course, I came from wine country. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I, for, I forgot about that. A different kind of wine different country. Different kind of wine country. Yes. All right. No, Dave it's Filomeo, wonderful here. Yeah, it is. Well, and I'm so thankful that you're in this community working hard. I do what I can. Especially for So Humane, very close to my heart. All right, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play and Stitcher. Check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on Features and then off script one more time. Dave Filomeo, thank you so much for taking the time out and chatting with me. Thank you for having me, Trish.